1 Corinthians chapter 13. In just one verse, the Bible says this. It says, we read it from verse 9 onwards maybe. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I taught as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. I just want to go back to verse 11 there. It says, uh, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, and taught as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. I want to just take that concept and develop it a little bit this morning. Because when you look into the pages of this book, you're looking into perfect reality. You're looking into something that is real. You know, the world is not real. All the deception, all the, 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 uh, the music, all the, the different uh, teachings that go on that you don't even know about. All the stuff that you hear about on the radio, that's not real. This is real. This is reality. And what you're doing for the first time is you're looking into reality and all that it is. So, just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Let's give you an introduction. It is not until we get to heaven until we see until we see clearly. It's not until we get to heaven that we'll actually see clearly. Now, could you imagine, you know, when we're singing that song, uh, um, what was the song we sang? We all got excited. Uh, no, the other one. And, and can it be? That's the one I got excited on. You know, when you look into those, and when you're, sometimes it's nice just to close your eyes when you're listening. And I just like to hear people just like to hear the volume going off in my mind because it encourages my heart. It really does. But if you could imagine Revelation chapter... Let's go to Revelation chapter 4 for a moment. If you could imagine what it's like, going to be like in heaven. Listen, when you close your eyes upon this earth and you wake up in glory, you will be excited. You will be uh, thrilled beyond measure because you will see things clearly as they really are. You will see things in reality. And if you can imagine Revelation 4 and Re Revelation 5, it talks about, in that, it talks about the 24 elders, it talks about the sea of glass, it talks about the, the worship that's going on in there and how they're praising one person, one person unknown. It says over there in Revelation 5 and verse 12, it's saying, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It talks about over there as well, it talks about a uh, hundred million angels and they're all proclaiming, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. What a, a concept heaven will be. But until then, until then, we've got this book to look into, amen? We've got the pages of this book. And listen, uh, there's something wonderful about this guide. It shows you just what is happening in this world. Let me show you Hebrews chapter 4. See, you hold your, in your hand tonight no normal book. There's no normal... It's, this book isn't normal. This book isn't some novel you can read. It's something that is deeper than that. It knows you. It says over there in Revel, Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 12, it's for the, it says, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder of the soul and spirit 
and to the joints of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It gets deep into your being. It gets right into your soul and spirit and it is able to uh, discern. It says then in verse 13, neither is there anything that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him of whom we have to do. This book knows us, amen? This book knows us. And when we get to know this book, man, it, it can show you so much. It can show you so much about this world in, all around us. It's not just be grasped by the intellect alone. Amen? It says over there in 2 Corinthians, just a few more scriptures, 2 Corinthians, over to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. just want you to understand there's more than just the written words. It says, Who also had made us enable ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But there's something about that book that's deeper than that, because it's talking about it's talking about the Spirit in me giveth life. That it's just not the Word on its own. I have my notes here somewhere. It's not just the Word on its own. Uh, it is a truth that is hidden to the wise and prudent, and yet revealed unto babes. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's for the childlike mindset, I like that concept of the simplicity that's in Christ. It's so easy. It's so straightforward to understand. But for those who come it from, a, from a different angle, God is able to, somehow as they read that book, their minds get messed up. And that's why we need to be careful. It's not to be understood uh, when we are true. It, is, it can only be understood when we're truly born again. And that's because the natural mind understands it not. It says over there in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man understands not, but the spiritual mind is what we need. Now, this, this is the problem here. Yet, how is it that we can be truly born again and believe the book and yet be all messed up? And that's what I've noticed within Christianity. I know people who love this book, who believe this book, and yet they're all messed up. And how is that? Well, it all depends how you look through the glass. And that's what I want to try to focus on. Uh, believers that believe the same book and totally opposite in doctrine. I mean, there's, there's uh, strange stuff goes on in this world. Uh, there's strange doctrines that are taught. And you can see that they're sincere, and yet they're way off in left field. And it's sad. It's sad. But listen, I, th I think this is the key. What goes wrong in their minds? Well, let me try to explain that. You know, modern-day church, even in churches today, so many segmented groups, so many different versions of the Bible. I've lost count after 230. I, I don't know how many is there now, but there's, there's a lot more, and it's all about money-making. The, the King James Bible is the only one that's not copyrighted, amen? The King James Bible is the only one that's been there since uh, the 1600s, and all the other versions have come, or Johnny come, come late. Uh, so many interpreta interpretations of the words. Uh, so many confusing practices going on in churches. So many false teachers out there. And, you know, your heart grieves because you sit down with someone and you show them from Scripture, you, sh you show them just clearly as, as, as day, and they don't get it. 
because they've been taught wrong. And that's the tragedy of today. Uh, teachers, uh, false teachers that are out there. Listen, uh, the Bible says this as well. Most dangerous, the most dangerous wolf is the one that looks like a sheep. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. The most dangerous wolf is the one that looks like a sheep. Matthew 7, verse 15, says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You know, uh, rat poison is 90% good for you. I mean, you can, if you get rid of the poison, the, the rest of it is good for you. It's 90% good for you, but it's the 10% that will kill you. And when it comes to the uh, false teachers out there, Listen, they have a lot of stuff that looks good. They might even believe in eternal security. They might believe in different things that we would believe, but they put that poison in there. And it's deadly. It's deadly. You've got to be careful because rat poison is deadly. Just like uh, teachings and doctrines that come from a mindset uh, that is corrupt, it just pollutes the whole mind. And the Bible says this, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little bit in there. And Satan knows that. And if he can get a little bit of poison in there, it will eventually leaven the whole lump. And he's very good at what he does. So you've got to be careful. Uh, when you listen to stuff, you know, when there's faults, you know, you don't, you don't have to fear this type of church. You don't have to fear people like Joel Olstein. You don't have to fear people like uh, Benny Hinn and things like that. We know they're off the wall. But with someone that looks like an independent Baptist, uh, they dress like and they preach like and all of a sudden there's poison they put in there. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Uh, and the shepherd needs to warn the flock of that poison. Outwardly look the same just like wheat and tares. You know, the only way of determining between wheat and tares is when they, when they produce, start producing fruit. Uh, they look the same. They look identical until they start producing. And Jesus said this, he says, you shall know them by their fruits. And you see that, that spirit of hatred that comes out, you know that it's a false teacher. So much information, but so little truth. Listen, you have the truth. John chapter 17, I know you know it well, but John 17, in verse 17, says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. You have the completion of God's words. So much Bible, but yet so little application. So how do we see through a gla uh, darkened glass? And this is how I believe how we see through, through a glass. Let me show you three things that will allow you to see. The first is simply this. Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You have the perfect book, but listen, there's a perfect teacher. And that's the Holy Spirit. You've got to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, you know, it's so simple when you really think about it. If you have this book, you believe the author is the Holy Spirit, you need to stay close to the Holy Spirit. Because he will, he is the revealer of all truths. Uh, and you will find the early church firmly believed, relied on the Holy Spirit. Let me show you John chapter 14. John chapter 14. 
The Bible says in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father had sent in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In chapter 15, in verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. He's the Spirit of truth. And when you get close to the Holy Spirit, and you get close to God's Word, listen, you cannot go far wrong. You really can't. And a lot of these people, a lot of these people out there, they listen to a false teacher, and they go way off left field, because they they leave the Holy Spirit behind. And they follow their own devices of their hearts. In fact, they didn't even leave the upper room until they were endued with power on high. That should be Luke 24, 49. Let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24. The Bible says in verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endured with power from on high. Listen, we need that same power to stay. We need, the, we need a, a, a touch from the, from the Holy Spirit of God where, we're, where the preaching is anointed. Where, where there's something more than just words being said. We need that. We need it today. We need uh, churches where, you know, I, I was listening to um, the re- revivals in the States and uh, George Whitfield. Uh, he, he used to never even prepare a message. I mean, he preached, he preached all over uh, England and America, and yet he never even prepared he would never even sit down and prepare a message. It takes me about eight hours to get a message, at least eight to ten hours. And this guy, he would just get up there, he would take a verse, and he would preach, and God would bless it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's the thing to do, I'm just saying that uh, there's been men who had the power of God in their lives who would just step out in faith, take a verse, and preach, and people would get saved. So, the Lord was in it very much so. Every decision was made in light of his guiding influence. Let me show you the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. And I wish, listen, I wish we could get back to that same place. I believe with all my heart in the book, I believe it's God's inspired truth. But I believe also we as finite beings need the the influence on our lives of the Holy Spirit. The, book, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and Spirit gave them utterance. And it talks about them being filled. And then Peter preached in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to verse 39. He preached in the Spirit. We know that from all the prophecy that's gone on in that and all the stuff that he reveals. He was preaching in the Spirit. And it was something in the very beginning stages of the church where God was, was, was uh, helping the church to develop. Ananias and Sapphira, later on, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, 
were not allowed to participate in because they lied to the Holy Spirit. It says over there in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1, but the certain man named Anais and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price which, uh, with his wife being privy to it and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Anais, why is Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. And of course, we know the story, uh, the Holy Spirit strikes them dead, and they're carried out. This is a serious reminder of who the Holy Spirit is. By the way, the Holy Spirit isn't a force, like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we need to understand that we, inside of us, have the Holy Spirit of God. And He's a Holy Spirit. He's a Holy Being. And we need to understand that he is the one that wants our attention. The church elected deacons approved by the Holy Spirit as well as confirmed by the church in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. It talks about Stephen being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5 and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. See, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was, he was, his qualification was he was a man that was filled with spirit. And that's probably the most important qualification anyone that stands behind his pulpit needs. Amen. Later on, in Paul's missionary journey, he is guided by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's second, second missionary journey. And because of this journey, he sets up the church of the Philippians. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says in verse 6, and now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And after they were come to Mysia, they assuaged to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. The Spirit said, don't go that direction. You need to come over this direction. Because there's a man in Macedonia that I want you to speak to. And when they get there, they finally realize it was a Philippian jailer. And he was the man that one man cried out and the Holy Spirit sent Paul to him. Amen. Paul would have missed it if he went his own way. And listen, when we go soul winning, we need to be sensitive yeah. to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Not just have words to say and it's good to prepare, it's good to ha have a plan, but at the end of the day, you've got to trust the Lord that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. And what you say the Lord would use. It's so important. Paul's whole confidence was not in himself. Let me show you 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. You know, I get encouraged when I see a man like a man like Paul who wrote 14 epistles of the Bible who was uh, the great apostle. And when he says this, it encourages my heart. Because I realize it's not in my speech ability. It's in the Holy Spirit. That will help us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 1, it says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellence of speech, of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and the spirit and of power that came from the Holy Spirit. There's something about the Word of God that's perfect. It's the pure Word of God. But the author of that book is the Holy Spirit. And we need both. We need both. Then I would say, number two, the second most important thing you need is remain clothed in humility. Remain clothed in humility. You know, God resists to the proud. Go to 1 Peter. Remain clothed. I love the way the King James Bible puts it. You know, only the King James Bible could do that. 1 Peter chapter 5. Bible says in verse 4, For when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder, yea, and all be subject one to another, uh, subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but give a grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. Humility is so important in the church. Listen, when I got saved, uh, what I was looking for was not just, I was just looking for a church of humble people, because I knew God had made me humble inside. That's what I was looking for. And God, you know, when I first remember coming to church and being excited and just seeing people who are normal, and it was wonderful to see that they had the same spirit that I had. It was just so, I felt I had, I had arrived home. It was wonderful. And you know, that's what God will do. God brings, God knits the heart of people together. God brings people close. But the way we stay close is when we have a humble spirit inside of us. You know, you're going to get offended in church if you haven't been already. You know, you're going to get offended. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to say the wrong thing. The pastor's going to say up is going to say something that's going to offend you and you're going to get in a huff. But you've got to have humility. If you want to have a long-term view of your Christianity, if you want to follow your Savior, if you want to just look unto Jesus and you want to follow Him all the way, you've got to have humility. You've got to have humility where you're allowed, where, whereby you can work things out. Humility is so important. Clothed in humility... When we humble ourselves, we allow God back into the situation. You know, you might have a situation, you might have trouble in your life. You have, you have two options. You can harden your heart and you can go your own way and you can end up in a worse situation or you can just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and God will get into your situation. He will work things out for good. He always does. He's promised. His promise is, is that if we seek Him, if we humble ourselves, in Romans 8.28, God works things, all things for good. Humility will go a long way to resolve a lot of conflicts. You know, if, if, I, if I'm dealing with a person, if someone comes into church, the first thing I'm looking for is humility. I really am. You know, I've, I've seen so many people come and go, and the one characteristic of the people that have left is there has been a lack of humility. They just didn't want to, they didn't want to listen. They wanted their own way. They wanted to change me. And that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and if they only had humility, we could have sat down and talk. Amen. You know, we could have discussed it. We could have, 
Because the only way two people can get on together, the Bible says this in the over in Amos 3.3, 3, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the only way we, we can get on together with God is when we're humble enough to walk with Him. Amen? It's humility. Humility is a huge thing today. Before God, we ask counsel of Him. You know, when someone maybe steps on your toes and maybe you feel offended, well, listen, the first thing you do when you're humble is you go to Scripture. What does the Bible say? Let me show you Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, the Bible says, There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. There's something about, the Bible also says the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There's something about uh, coming to the Lord, asking the Lord for wisdom. The Bible says he upbraided not. He's not going to rebuke you for it. He's going to love you for it. He's, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to seek, uh, seek w- uh, wisdom from him. Because he can give it to you. He can give it to you like no one else. You know, sometimes you can, uh, you can get counsel from different people, but the Lord shows you something that is just, is more than any of your counselors. And that's what's so precious. You realize like Abraham did, that God only does right. You know, God brings a circumstance in your life. Abraham over there in Genesis chapter 18, uh, he's uh, bargaining over Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, if they're not 50 righteous, 40 righteous, it eventually goes down to ten. And then Abraham says something very, very profound. He says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You've got to believe that. Amen. Listen, you've got to believe what whatever circumstance God puts in your life, whatever situation you find yourself in, God only does right. He only does right. He never does wrong. When you, when you uh, look back in your life, you'll you'll see a trend right down through your life that God, every circumstance God put in your life, it was for your good. It was for your good. You didn't understand it at the time, but it was for your good. It's always for your good. Because He's a loving God that loves you. Even we're in rebellion towards Him. You realize that the problem, sorry, is the problem is before man. You will look at the situation on both sides. There's always another side to the story. See, when you're humble, you're not quick to judge a person. You're slow. You will speak less and listen more. I like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Can we go to it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, there's, there's such an emphasis today on speaking. Sometimes it's just good to go the opposite way. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4 and verse 11. I've never heard a, a message preached on this. It says, And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. It's just sometimes it's, it's good when you can hold your mouth. Sometimes when you want to say stuff, but if you just hold back, it shows a, a, a Holy Spirit control. And it's, it's good when, you're, when you speak less and listen more a lot of times. 
You will be a peacemaker. You know what churches need? Churches need peacemakers. Honestly, I, I've seen enough conflict in churches to last a lifetime. But churches need peacemakers. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's something in the Bible called charity. And the Bible says charity shall cover the multitude of sins. It's our secret weapon against an enemy that doesn't play fair. And there's something about a peacemaker that goes out of their way and says, listen, have I offended you? Uh, maybe I said something wrong. There's something about that that, is, that, is, that the Lord says over in Matthew chapter 5, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for such is the kingdom of God. There's something about peacemaking in the church because there's so much conflict there need to be those who will just be peacemakers. You will be slow to wrath. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because humility, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, changes everything. You think differently. You look at things differently because you're under that umbrella of the Lord. Remain clothed in humility. One last thing. Be a keeper of God's word. Go to Psalms. Psalms 119. Really, if you want to learn the Bible, you know, I, I actually taught. I went to three, three years Bible Institute. I wrongly taught that once I learned the Bible, or once I learned from my lecturers that I would be, have a lot of Bible knowledge. And that, that much is true. But I thought I would have wisdom as well. That's not necessarily true. Psalms 119 simply says it this way. The Bible says in verse 97, notice the connection there. It says, Oh, how I love thy law is my meditation all the day. Though thou thy commandment has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100 is a key verse. I understood, understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. There, there needs to be such an emphasis on obedience to God's word. Because so much of it is knowledge that's never applied in a life. And it's tragic. It is tragic. The blessing of the Christian life is to be a doer of God's word. If you want to learn that book, then start doing it. Amen? Apply it in your life. When you read it, apply it. There's something about applying simple truths, putting it into practice, where you leave church and you actually follow through. It is, it is a blessed life. Bible knowledge means nothing unless it has an application. You hear that? All the Bible knowledge in the world, it means nothing. It's good to learn, but you've got to apply it into your life. You know what that is? That's the Dead Sea. And the one thing about the Dead Sea is that it's dead because there's no outlet. There's nowhere for the water to go. You know what happens when water is just sitting there? It stinks. And so, like the Dead Sea, there's no outlet. In the Christian life, a lot of times, there's no application. And I think it's tragic. I think it's tragic. Bible knowledge will only be, be more 
would, would do you more harm because you only get puffed up. Doesn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says knowledge puffeth you up, but charity and things of the Bible where you put things into practice uh, can make you wiser than your, more than the ancients. Let me illustrate the importance of obedience this way because, listen, he is the father of truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes into the father book by me. Satan is the father of lies. So listen, when you tell a lie, when you tell a lie, and listen, we all tell, we all can tell some kind of lies. Just realize that that old nature is stepping in there. You're, you're just told, you've just taken the first step away from the truth, and now you're stepping over to that old nature. You know, it's, it's a slow process. He esteems his words. Psalms 138 verse 2 says, it says, he has put his words above his name. His name is Jehovah. His name is, is the highest. And yet he's put his word above it. Satan mocks and despises it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says that. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 12, David, a man after God's own heart, the Bible, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, it says, you have despised the commandments of the Lord. And that's what we can do as well. We've got that old nature, that new nature. It's right there. And we've got to align ourselves with the new nature. He loves righteousness. Satan loves unrighteousness. He is the prince of life. Satan is the prince of darkness. Uh, his nature is holy. It says over there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Be holy, for I am holy. Satan is the unholy. His nature is unholy. He is the great giver. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's the great giver. Satan is the, his nature is the great taker. So over there in, in John chapter 10 it talks about in John chapter 10 in verse 10 it shows us the true nature of of Satan, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I'd rather have Jesus than the thief any day. Uh, which nature do you pursue after? And you, you can only tell me that because you know when you're stepping away from those, that nature that's inside of you, which is the good nature. In each of us, there's a Peter that walks on water and there's a Judas Iscariot which betrayed him. Think about that for a second. Those two natures are right there, right beside us. And even in the most spiritual day, things can, that old nature can appear. We decide who sits on the throne. Let me show you Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And the Bible says in verse 8, For to be carnally minded is death. And that's verse 6. But it's all good anyway. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So, they, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God in the flesh. So that... That old nature is never going to be acceptable. <laughs> the Bible says you've got to mortify it. 
You've got to put it to death. You've got to put it away because it's not going to please God. It's not going to produce any kind of righteousness. It will always fail you. But then there's a new nature. And 1 John talks about that. Let me show you 1 John. That new nature. And the new nature, listen, the new nature is the key to the the success in the Christian life. The Bible says this, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And it talks about the fact that the part of you that's born again is the part of you that is where the victory is found. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 9, it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The part of you that's born of God is incapable of sin. That's why you've got to live in a new nature. That old nature will fail you every single time. The Bible says over there in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the same emphasis here. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It's activated by faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And there's something about the, the part of you that's born again. That old nature is right beside you, but there's a new nature that if once you start living it, you will never regret. You will never truly... You'll have days that are rough, but listen, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, comforting you. You've got the fruit of the Spirit showing in your life. You'll never regret it. Let me give you a conclusion. When you look into the page of this book, we're seeing through a glass darkly. It is reality, friends. What you're seeing is reality. It is absolute reality. You're not going to see reality in uh, the, the television, usually. You're not going to see, you're seeing pure reality before you. You're seeing that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's, there's a God that loves you. There's a devil that hates you and wants to ruin your life. You need to understand that the Bible speaks the truth. Even though we look into the, into the only source of truth, our infinite minds cannot comprehend the infinite. We cannot comprehend it fully. That's why, that's why Satan is a great deceiver. It says over there in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he deceived the whole world. I remember uh, years ago, my brother Jerry, talk about being deceived. Uh, he started off in Carrick, Navarre when he was a teenager. He went to, he was in a Bible study. He was in a Bible study. And he was gaining Bible knowledge. And from there, he left the Bible college, the Bible study, and he went into Hinduism. From Hinduism, he went into Zen Buddhism. From Zen Buddhism, he went into Scientology. And from Scientology, he went into existentialism. I don't even know what existentialism is. But, <laughs> but he's gone into all those different things. And the tragedy is this. The Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. I wonder what it would have been like if he got saved all those years back. Because he's, out, he's always been like a dog chasing his tail. 
He reminds me of that verse over in, in Timothy where it says, forever learning and yet never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And all these years later, he is just full of bitterness. It's done him no good whatsoever. And yet he's still chasing his tail. What a tragedy. And you know, you know what I think? I think Satan, Satan just brought him, got him away from the Bible study and got him into all these different things. I believe that was Satan's trickery. And that's why, listen, if you understand the gospel, and if you are hearing what the gospel says, you need to get saved today. Don't put it off another minute. The Bible says today, when you hear the Spirit speaking to you, today is the day of salvation. Do not put it off. He wants you to trust your own understanding. Listen, Satan loves when you trust your own understanding. When you look into the pages of that book, you know the scary thing is, if you... If you're sitting there and you think you know more than the pastor, then I think you're, you might be in trouble. Because a lot of times, that's what happens. I've seen people, I've seen a critical spirit. I've seen people think, I know more than you do. I know, I know certain things and they look at you and they think, you're the dummy. He wants you to trust in your own understanding. He wants you to think, you don't need God. You don't need the Holy Spirit to rightly divide that truth. You're wrong. You do. He loves, he loves it when a spark of rebellion begins. Because you know what? He knows that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And just a little spark of rebellion and the damage he can do. And that's the tragedy today. A lot of Christians, a lot of sheep don't realize that just a little bit of rebellion. So how do we see through all the distraction going on today? Well, simply, I would just say this to you. Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's the author of the book. Shouldn't you stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Don't necessarily trust your own understanding. Get the multitude of counselors, but at the end of the day, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through the pages of that book. Remain clothed in humility. God will always stay close to to those that are humble. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God will always stay close to you. He will guide you. Be a keeper of God's words. You're only fooling yourself at the end of the day when you, when, you, when you are in church one way and you live another way. You're only fooling yourself. And it is tragic because a lot of times we don't take seriously, we, don't, we really don't take seriously obedience. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about perfect obedience. None of us can have perfect obedience. But I'm talking about a just man, even though he falls, he gets up, and he tries his best to go another. He tries his best to, to, to keep on what the Bible says. He tries to obey God's word to the best of his ability. And a lot of stuff that happens today is because we are not sincere about a walk. And that needs to be the key. We, we have to make the choice in each case. We have to make the choice. The choice is ours. We decide what nature we follow. The old nature, the new nature. Uh, the tragedy is a lot of times we slip back into the old. And when the, the flesh gets so good at counterfeiting the new that we, we, we think we're okay, but we're not. We've got to walk in the newness of life. The Bible says that uh, the new man is the only thing that can please God. The old nature is corrupt beyond repair. He is never 
you're never going to please God in the flesh. Even though the flesh can seem spiritual, the flesh will always fail you every single time. Let's stand, please. Father, we thank you for being so good and would you bless and help us this day to be sincere, to follow you with hearts and to walk with you in truth. We thank you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.